Well, good morning again, Taylor's family. Good to see you. Good to be with you today once again as we turn uh, to God's Word. And I'm just so uh, honored to have this opportunity uh, to be here at a place that's so special to me. If you weren't here uh, last week, um, you you didn't maybe catch or or hear that this was the first place that I ever served on church staff some 20 years ago um, as a college student finishing up at North Greenville. Had an opportunity to serve here, and I got to see uh, Phil Hargrove in the first service, which he was a long time. Minister of Education and Discipleship here, and he was he and Dr. Ernest Carswell gave me my first chance, and so this is a special place, and these have been a special couple of weeks to be able to be here um, with you, and I'm grateful for the time that we have again today uh, to turn to God's Word. Before we do so, I want to ask you to to think a little bit this morning. Is that okay? Um, can I ask you to think a little bit? I know it's still you know a little bit early on Sunday, and Monday's coming. I know a little bit of a weird week with the weather and everything, but I need you to think for a little bit here uh, this morning. I want you to think about the first four people that you are going to see tomorrow outside of your home. Okay, go outside of your home, so not not underneath your roof. Think about your office. Think about uh, your school. Think about the gym. Um, if maybe uh, you're going to be traveling, so you're going to be in an airport somewhere. Uh, maybe you don't even know who the four people are that you're going to see. Maybe you can just kind of anticipate who some of those four people might be. Or maybe, maybe, just think over the coming week, over the course of a normal week, who are four people that you regularly see? Again, for the sake of this thought, just outside of your home, okay? I want you to think of those four people. See their faces, know their names. I want you to think about them, all right? Now, imagine this. It, it, it might not be exactly true of the four people that you're thinking right now, okay? But just for the sake of the thought and for the sake of the illustration as we begin our time, I want you to go with me, okay? Imagine if three out of those four people, three out of those four, four people you just thought of, imagine if you knew that those folks, three out of those four, did not have a relationship with Jesus, had no connection to a church, and were heading towards a Christless eternity. Now again, it might not be true. It might be that, that all four of the people you thought of, they are followers of Jesus, or maybe all four of them, they're not followers of Jesus, or a couple are, or aren't, or you know, whatever it might be, but just, just imagine if three out of the four people you just thought of Imagine if they did not have a relationship with Jesus, had no connection to a church, and were heading towards a Christless eternity. Now, I'm not just making up the numbers, you know, four and three out of four. I'm not just making that up. I'm using that as a representation of the statistical reality of the state of South Carolina right now. The truth is, three out of every four people that you will lock eyes with and rub shoulders with on a day-to-day basis are right now living outside of a relationship with Jesus and his church and heading towards a Christless eternity. The number added up equals 3.6 million people. 3.6 million people, not in a country on the other side of the world, in South Carolina. Now, For some of us, I'm a near lifelong South Carolinian. 37 of my 40 years have been lived here in South Carolina, okay? I find that sometimes a little bit hard to believe. And if you've been around South Carolina long enough, you do too, because besides barbecue restaurants, what do we have a plethora of in South Carolina? Churches. How many did you drive past to get to this one, right? I just know for us, coming up through 85, we got off on Haywood Road and coming through Edwards Road and Lee Road and around there. I mean, we passed churches all over the place. And if, and if we couldn't see the church, there were 24 signs that pointed us to where the church is, right? 
So, so if folks in our in our state that right now don't have a relationship with Jesus, don't have a connection to a church, if they wanted to find a church, it's not like it'd be hard, right? Pick a road. Drive a quarter of a mile. You got 10 to choose from. Now, here's what complicates the matter further. And what increases the challenge upon us. Our state is one of the fastest growing states in the country. Depending on which study you follow, uh, some say we're as high as the fifth Fastest growing state in the country over the next five years. Some say about seventh or eighth, but any, any way you look at it, among the top ten fastest growing states in the country and the fastest growing in the southeast outside of Florida. Now what's fascinating about this growth is this growth is coming from people who are, who are not moving from within the south. Many, many of these folks moving to our state are moving from outside of the south, from upper midwest, the northwest, the northeast, and, and then literally from all over the world from all over the world. Now what this means is the likelihood of folks who are moving to our state ever having an opportunity to be connected to a gospel-believing church where they would have heard and had the opportunity to respond to the gospel begins to go way, way down. And so guess what's not on for many people moving to our state? Guess what's not on the top 500 list of things to do when I move to my new home in South Carolina? Guess what's not on the list? Find a church. Find the good places to eat, absolutely. Figure out where the kids are going to go to school, no doubt. Where are we going to work out? Where are we going to play golf? Right? Where are we going to get our, our hair done? Where are we going to do all these things? We're going to doctor, dentist, all that. Church, not even on the radar. It's not even a thought. And so three out of four people already in our state, no relationship with Jesus, no meaningful connection to a church, and that number as our state continues to grow only likely continues to increase unless something happens. Now while many people in our state may not be looking for church, here's one thing I can say for absolute certain because this is true of you, me, and all 4.75 million people that call South Carolina home might not be looking for church but looking for hope. looking for life, looking for identity, looking for truth, looking for purpose, looking for value. And here's the thing. If what we talked about last week, Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. Their sin is not too great and the time is not too late. Father, forgive them. If that is true, if that is true that there is a God and He loves us and He sent His Son as our Savior and He, and he bled and He died the death that we deserve to die as full payment for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And He conquered death so that we can be made alive. We can have true life. We can have eternal life. We can have restoration and redemption and renewal. If it is true that that is available to us and this good news has been entrusted to us, then how in the world could we let anybody live and die without ever having the opportunity to hear and respond to that good news? If it is true that forgiveness and life and hope and renewal and redemption, eternal life is available to us, through our Savior and our God and His sinless life, His substitutionary death and His victorious resurrection, if it is true, 
then how, how could we let any man, woman, or child in any tribe, nation, or tongue in South Carolina, across the country, or around the world, live and die without having the opportunity to see, hear, and respond and receive this good news themselves? Does it bother us that this many people in our state, we haven't even talked about the world, that there's still two billion in our world who've never even heard the name of Jesus. Billions more have little to no access to the gospel. Does it bother us? Does it bother us to the point that we recognize something has to change? Lord, let it start with me. And that's where in this climate of our context and our culture right now, right here in the upstate of South Carolina, I believe Jesus' words in the Great Commission are as critical as they've ever been for us to understand and apply to our lives. And that's what we're going to walk through in our time together this morning. If you've got your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. If you've got your phone or your tablet, turn on your Bible and scroll to Matthew chapter 28. And I want to ask Miss Mary Gay if she'll come and read our text for us this morning as we begin our time in God's Word, walking through this great commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you, Miss Mary. Let's pray together, church. Father, for your word, we give you thanks. For your grace that saves and transforms, we praise you. And then for your grace that compels us to go, we give you thanks for the privilege and the honor and the opportunity we have of joining our everyday lives in with you and your everyday mission in this community and to the ends of the earth. And Father, I pray you would use your word today to stir us and to challenge us and to encourage us. Give us a vision for what you're doing around us. Give us a vision for what you're doing in all nations. And then give us hearts and feet that are ready to respond as you stir and as you lead us. May we be used of you to make your great gospel known wherever it is not, starting here and extending to all nations. That's our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, it's easy for us to, to read the Great Commission and just in some ways kind of blow right past the words because if you've been around church for a while, that's not the first time you've ever heard the Great Commission read. It's not the first time you've read it yourself. This is certainly not going to be the first sermon or Bible study you've participated in walking through these very familiar words of Jesus. But I pray we will not let our familiarity with the passage cause us to miss the significance and miss the power and the depth of meaning and the call of God on our lives through this passage because there are four key truths we've got to understand as we understand God's mission and understand the part he's calling us to play in his mission right here in the upstate and extending across our state and extending to the ends 
of the earth. In response to the disciples' doubt in verse 16 and 17, Jesus immediately answers and responds with this very clear statement that forms a claim for us all to believe. And that is, he says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's not saying some authority, most authority, authority on a few matters, and then I've got to go get some help on some other things. He is saying all authority. What he is saying unequivocally is a declaration, a clear declaration, another declaration that he is God and there is none other. Jesus is declaring what he declared through his life, what he declared through his teachings, what he declared through his miracles, what his death and his resurrection proclaim, and what he with his own mouth proclaim now, that he is God. All authority rests in him. He is over all things. He is ruling and reigning for his glory, building his kingdom for his glory. And he uses his people to build his kingdom for his glory. He's not sort of sovereign. He is sovereign over all things. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered hell. And if you fulfill hundreds of years of biblical prophecy and and you live a perfectly sinless life and you die a criminal's death on a cross and you come out of the grave alive having just done everything you said you would do and there's none other who's come before you and none who would come after you who would ever equal what you have done because you are the one, then you are the one who has all the authority. And the one who has all the authority in your life and my life and over this world is the Lord Jesus and there is none other but him. And what that means for you and me as followers of Jesus is very simply this, that he is worthy. He's worthy. There's, there's no one else who has done for you what Jesus has done for you. So there's no one else who's worthy of your life, your soul, your all, as we just sang earlier. There's no one else who has done for you what Jesus has done for you, and so he is worthy of your worship. He's worthy of the worship you've offered him this morning. He's worthy of the worship of your life. He is worthy of your going in his name for the sake of his gospel. He is worthy of our lives and he is worthy of our worship. And that means that he's also worthy of every man, woman, and child in every tribe, nation, and tongue. He's worthy of their worship, even if at this moment right now they've never even heard his name. He's worthy. Because what he's done for you and me, he has done and made available to every man, woman, and child in every tribe, nation, and tongue. He's worthy. He's worthy, which is why his claim to believe translates into then a command to obey. Because in response to his authority, in response to his authority, what does he say? He says, therefore, go. Therefore, go. Now, when we read go, we often think that's the central imperative of the Great Commission, and it's actually not. The central imperative of the Great Commission is what comes next. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. The central command that Jesus has given us to obey in this Great Commission is the command to go and make disciples. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of the worship of every man, woman, and child in every tribe, nation, and tongue, even if they've never heard his name. And so we go to all nations to make disciples. 
Now, when Jesus is saying make disciples, he's not saying I'm, I'm looking for you to get, to get more people to come to your church by getting them to leave the church down the street and fill the pews or the seats in your church. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, go get people to fill out cards. Go get people to, to say a few words, utter a few statements, and have nothing happen else in their lives. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I want you to go and live a transformed life and lead others to see and experience the exact same thing in their life because that's what it means to be a disciple. When Jesus gave the first invitation to his first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, his invitation was this. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, in that invitation from Jesus to those first disciples, we get a picture of a, of a good definition of what it means to be a disciple. When Jesus says, go make disciples, we've got to have a picture of what he's calling us to go make, right? In order to be successful, we've got to, we've got to know what the target is. We've got to know what we're shooting for. And in Jesus' invitation, I think we get a great definition of who a disciple is, what a disciple looks like, what a disciple is doing. First, when Jesus says, come and follow me, he's saying that a disciple has made the, the clear decision the clear decision to follow Jesus and to trust him as the Lord of their lives. That they have stepped across the line of faith. They have turned away from the life that they were living. Following whatever path that might have been, wherever that might have been going. Following and looking for life and whatever little God they could find. They've now turned their lives to the one true God, believing that Jesus is who he says he is that he did what he said he would do and that he lived, he died, and he was resurrected on their behalf and they have placed their faith in him for forgiveness of their sins and they've received new life and now they are following Jesus. They've made the clear decision to follow Jesus, but not just a one-time decision. It's an ongoing, everyday, dying to self and surrendering to Jesus as Lord. A disciple has made the clear, determined decision to follow Jesus, and they make that decision every single day to die to themselves and live open-handed and surrender to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, you're leading, I'm following. A disciple's following Jesus. And as a disciple follows Jesus, what Jesus says is, I will make you. In other words, Jesus is going to do a transforming work in our lives. So a disciple is following Jesus, and a disciple is growing to be like Jesus. Jesus says, I will make you. And this is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that God loves you and accepts you just the way you are. He doesn't say, go get all of this figured out. Go get all of this straightened out. Go fix this in your life. Go fix that in your life. Do more of this, do less of this, and then come back and maybe you can have a relationship with me. That's not how it works. When you come and place your faith in Jesus as Savior and God, you're not trusting in your work, you're trusting in Jesus' work on your behalf. And God loves you and accepts you just the way you are, but hear what might be the better news of the gospel. He refuses to leave you that way. He accepts you just as you are. He loves you just as you are, but he doesn't leave you that way because when you place your faith in Jesus... The Holy Spirit of God comes to move inside of your life. 
and you join in with a faith family like this one where you hear the word proclaimed and you, you uh, live in community with other believers and you serve your community and you go to all nations making the gospel known. And as you're doing these things and the word of God's at work in your life and the spirit of God's at work in your life, as you learn to pray, as biblical community, your brothers and sisters pour into you, you know what starts to happen? Your life starts to change. Because God is at work through his word, through his people, through the circumstances of your life to form and fashion you more and more into the image of Jesus. That's his plan for your life. I I don't know all the particulars of God's will for your life, but I know if you're a follower of Jesus, his plan is to form and fashion you more and more into the image of Jesus. So a disciple is following Jesus and growing more and more every day to become more like Jesus. And all of this following and growing, Jesus ties it to a purpose to make fishers of men. That is to go on mission with Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, and there is a place for you in God's mission. doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus. 50 years, 5 days, there's a place for you in God's mission. He he wants to use his people to accomplish his kingdom purposes wherever they are and extending far beyond anything they could ever imagine. So he invites, he says, come and follow me. And as you're following me, I'm going to grow you to become more and more like me. And as you are following me and you're growing in me, I'm going to send you. You're going to go with me on mission, joining your everyday life in with me in my everyday mission. And this is what you and I are called to as disciples. And this is what we are called to make, starting here in our community and extending to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, all authority It's been given to me. It's a claim to believe. Out of that, he says, therefore go. I'm worthy. Therefore go and make disciples. Lead more people to follow me, to be changed by me, to go with me on my mission. That's what it means to make a disciple. And understand, being a disciple and making disciples is not a call for the elite all right, the, the, the guys who received this initial commission from Jesus were far from elite. They had been passed over by the Jewish elite, in fact. They were as ordinary as you could find. Yet God said to them, go and make more disciples. Following me, growing to be more like me, going with me on mission. Now, how do we make those disciples? That's where Jesus gives us a plan to follow. It's a claim to believe, it's a command to obey, and then there is a plan to follow. And this is where the word go comes in. Okay, it is, a, it is an active participle. It's one of three that occur in the passage. Going, baptizing, and teaching. When Jesus gives the, the, the word to go, he's saying, as you are going, as you are going about your life, following me, growing to become more and more like me, then I want you to go with me in your everyday lives. I want you to go with me on mission to your neighborhood. I want you to go with me on mission to your school. I want you to go with me on mission to your office. I want you to go with me on mission to your gym and to the golf course. I want you to go with me on mission to the airport and wherever that that plane is going to take you. I want you to go with me on mission as you go about your everyday life. Every day you live in relationship with Jesus is a day for you to live on mission with Jesus and for Jesus. To see 
the people and to see the places where you are through his eyes. And it's also a call for you to have those moments in your life where you put your yes on the table and trust God with the consequences of your obedience. And maybe as a team, you get on an airplane or you get on a bus and you go somewhere to make the gospel known where maybe it's not known or there's little to no access to the gospel. And maybe that's a short-term thing or maybe for you it becomes a long-term thing. It's what you do with your life. How do we make disciples? It's by going. It's by being a church that goes, not a church that just sits back and says, well, we have doors. If you want what we have, you come walk through one. But a church and a people that go, that live sent every day in our community and to the ends of the earth. And as we're going, Jesus says, make disciples by baptizing them. Now, if somebody is baptized... That, that's a public declaration of Jesus as Lord. It's an outward sign of an inward transformation that's taken place. In other words, this person is given testimony that they have placed their faith in Jesus as Savior and God when they are baptized. Now, Romans 10, Paul says, he asks these series of rhetorical questions. How can, people, how can people believe unless they hear? So how can they place their faith in Jesus unless they hear about Jesus? And then he says, how are they going to hear about Jesus unless someone is sent to tell them about Jesus? So when Jesus says that we make disciples by going and baptizing, what he's saying is that my disciples are sharing their faith. My my disciples are sharing the gospel. That they're sharing the gospel in their lives as they're being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And then they're, they're opening their mouths and with their lips they are communicating and sharing the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ to those all around them who right now don't know and are heading towards a Christless eternity. And in that, God works. As his people open their mouths and share, God works to lead people to place their faith in Him as Savior and God. And then the baptism... The baptism is is an indication that this transformation has taken place. Let me ask you this question as you think about how God might use you to share the gospel. I want you to think about this question. Who, Who is it that is close to you but far from God? Who's close to you in relationship? A, a friend at school, a co-worker? Maybe somebody who does live in your house, one of your family members. Maybe it's a next-door neighbor. It's a long-time friend. Who's close to you but far from God? Guess who the missionary is to that person you just thought of? You. Guess how the God of the universe who has authority over all things... Guess how he has planned and orchestrated for that person to have the opportunity to hear, see, and respond to the gospel. Guess what he's done? He made you, and he saved you, and he put you in proximity. Either you live next door, you work down the hall, you sit in the same class together, you're on the team together, whatever it might be, but God has placed you as the one that he wants to use through your life and through your lips to make the life-changing good news of Jesus known to this person or these people that are close to you, but far from him. But it doesn't end at the the baptizing of a new believer because then the third participle here is teaching. Teaching. So Jesus says, go, 
baptize, teach. Now this, this teaching, he says, teach them to do everything that I've taught you to do. Teach them to obey and observe everything that I have commanded of you, which would include what? The very thing he's commanding them right now. Jesus is casting a vision for multiplication to his very first disciples. He's saying, as you go and as you lead people to know me and to follow me and to grow in me and to join in the mission together with us, as you are doing that, you're you're leading people, you're teaching them, you're pouring into them, you're showing them how to do the very same thing through their lives to somebody that's close to them, but far from me. Following Jesus doesn't doesn't stop at a person's commitment to Christ and when they pass through the waters of baptism. That's not the end. That's the beginning. (laughs) That's the beginning. That's the beginning of living life on mission full of an eternal purpose that has eternal value and seeing lives changed by the gospel. To understand the power of of this plan that Jesus has given us. I want you to think about this. Imagine over the next 12 months, what if Taylor's grew by a thousand people over the next 12 months? Get back together September 2019 and there's a thousand more people here on a Sunday than there were today. Would that be amazing? Would we praise the Lord for that? You better believe it. Hopefully a whole bunch of those thousand people would be new followers of Jesus, right? That's what we want to see. It's what we long for. I know it's what you long for. It's what you pray for. It's what you work so hard for. It's what you want to see God do. What what if that growth continued for the next 33 years? Every year, a thousand new people. Would that be amazing? In 33 years, we gather back here and there's 33,000 more people. I mean, I don't know where we're going to put them and I don't know where we're going to park. But that's a great problem to have. Am I right? I mean, we'll figure that one out all day long, right? That'd be amazing. Baptist Courier would be beating the doors down in this place trying to figure out what in the world's going on at Taylor's, right? Pastors all over the country would be wanting to come in and what what is happening here? It'd be amazing. Now, not to downplay any of that at all, I just want you to think about a different plan. What if, over the next 12 months, you, one person, you thought to take that person that you're thinking of that's close to you but far from God, what if you... Every day you prayed for that person and for their salvation and for God to use you to lead them to faith in Christ. And what if then out of that you, you built or invested and strengthened your relationship with that person? You cared for them, demonstrated the love of Christ in your life. And what if you at opportunity, had the, you continued to share the gospel verbally, you shared your testimony, you shared the good news of the gospel with that person that's close to you but far from God. And let's say by God's grace they come to faith in Christ and then... You begin to disciple them and teach them how they can follow Jesus and how they can lead others to faith in Christ over the next 12 months so that a year from now, you, you've made a disciple and that disciple that you've made is then turning around and with somebody that's close to them but far from God, they're praying for them and caring for them and sharing the gospel with them and, and, and discipling you know, them in the same way. And then you go to somebody else who's close to you but far from God. Now, play that out over the same 33 years. You do that every year. 12 months. You do that every year. Lead someone to faith. Disciple them to do the same the next year with somebody else. In 33 years, do you know how many people would be reached with the gospel? 8.5 billion with a B. We could finish the Great Commission in 33 years. 
Now, this is not saying the first illustration's bad. Praise God, bring it on. But don't miss Jesus' plan to change the world one life at a time. It's disciples going, sharing their faith, and multiplying the gospel, and multiplying the mission, and making disciples who will make disciples that would change the world. It's what Jesus did. And, and I think it worked. He took 11 average, ordinary guys passed over by the Jewish elite, poured his life into them for three years. They watched him die. They watched him come out of the grave. They received this command. They received this commission. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of them and empower them. And folks, 2,000 years later, here we are talking about the exact same command, the exact same commission, the exact same gospel, the exact same Savior, and we're doing it on a piece of dirt those guys didn't even know existed. And it happened. It happened by going, baptizing, teaching, multiplying, disciples making disciples. And the command and the plan of Jesus is to follow the exact same plan. And then, here's the ultimate X factor that he gives us. Last thing, is he gives us a comfort to rely on. There's a claim to believe. All authority rests on Jesus. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of the worship of every man, woman, and child who doesn't even know his name right now. There's a command to obey. Go make disciples. There's a plan to follow. We're going to go, we're going to share, we're going to multiply. And the X factor, the comfort that we rely on all along the way is how Jesus closes this in verse 20. He says, I am with you always, all the days until the end of the age, until the day I return, follower of Jesus, I will be with you. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave, the same power that conquered sin now lives inside of you and me and it lives inside of this faith family. So there is nowhere you go where Jesus is not going with you. Whether it is your neighborhood, it's the office, it's your school, or it's a nation on the other side of the world. There is nowhere where you and I will ever go where Jesus does not go with us to empower us for the mission that he's called us to. God is with us. This is the perfect bookend to how we're introduced to Jesus in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, we're introduced to him as what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And Jesus says at the end, I'm still with you to empower you to do this. To do this. To believe that I'm worthy. To go make disciples by going sharing, multiplying, and know that while you're doing that, I am with you always, even to the very end. To tie it all together, the call of God, the mission for your life, for my life, for this church, the mission is very simple. It is we are called to be disciples who make more disciples for the glory of God. We're disciples by God's grace. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf, we are disciples, followers of Jesus, called to make more disciples in all nations for the glory of God. And my prayer for us is that Jesus' last command would be our first and highest priority. To make disciples who make more disciples for the glory 
of God. I want you, as we close and respond today, to think about that person or those people that are close to you but far from God. And I wonder if during our time of invitation and response, if you might take time today to pray for that person or pray for those people. Maybe you want to come up and pray. Maybe you want to just take a moment where you are to pray. Feel free to respond as the Lord may be leading you. Maybe God's calling you to receive this gift of forgiveness and salvation that you've yet to receive, and there's an opportunity for you to do that today. Pastors and counselors will be here to speak with you if you want to give your life to Jesus and place your faith and receive this free gift that's available to you today. Any other decisions that you feel led to make, there's an opportunity for you to do that now as we pray and we respond to our great God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for transforming us. And thank you for calling us to join with you in your mission. Father, I pray that you would use us in our lives to make much of you and to make the good news of the gospel known wherever it is not known. Because Jesus, you are worthy of our lives. You're worthy of our worship. And you are worthy of the worship of every man, woman, and child in every tribe, nation, and tongue who's never even heard your name. Father, may that challenge us. May that compel us. And Holy Spirit, would you strengthen us and give us courage to go where you send us, to share boldly and courageously, to pour into others, that we as disciples might be used of you to make more disciples and that all of this would be not to the glory of our name, not to the glory of a church's name, but be to the glory of the only name that's worthy of our lives and worthy of this mission, and that is the name of Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, our God and our Savior. So Jesus, we surrender to you. We ask you to empower us and call us, stir us and use us. We pray it all in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.